Joy to the world. What a great way to start or end the singing part of the service to get into the preaching. The Lord is come, let earth receive her king. Ah, what a, what a song. Let's, um, this morning we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, shocker, right? Uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, I had Dan read just a portion of it. We're going to read the whole thing real quick, just 1 to 21. And uh, then we're going to dive into our message this morning. Uh, follow along with me. Luke chapter 2, verse number 1 says this. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He was to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told unto them by the shepherds. But Mary, she kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray together. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this weekend and what we celebrate today and tomorrow. And we celebrate every day that Christ came. God came to earth in the form of a child to bring hope, to bring salvation, to bring peace to a lost world, sinners in need of his grace. And God, as we open up Luke chapter 2, many probably were mouthing the words along as I read them because they have been familiar with these words. But God, I pray that our familiarity would never distract us from the significance that this text, this passage, the revealed word of God gives to us today, just as it was good when it was written Just as it was good when it happened, it is just as good today. And I pray that you'd help us to see truths from your word about what the birth of Christ teaches us this morning. God, we thank you for all those that are here. Speak to our hearts, free us of distractions, and give us uh, what we need from your word today. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. 
As, we, as I mentioned, as we think about Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke 2 is probably the most familiar passage in Scripture if you've been in church at all. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you may have even read this still on Christmas morning uh, because of how uh, traditional it can become because of the significance it plays. And so as we think about Luke 2, we think about the excitement of a birth of a brand new baby. Now, there's great anticipation with the birth of a, of a new child. Uh, as I was thinking about this message, all I could think of was the birth of our two boys. I could think of August 20th of 2020 and getting a phone call, or really, I was sleeping. Kayla got a phone call and was told she can come in for induction in a few hours. And so what do we do? We got everything ready, got our go bag, you know, got, got the important snacks, got the things strapped up and went to the hospital, right? And we were excited. It was the 20th, which is a Thursday. And then uh, by the 21st, about 3 p.m., boom, there was Colson, and he was in the world. I, I just remember the, the anticipation of what was to come and the special reality of just like witnessing my child be born and then holding this little, scary to, scared to death, holding this little child thinking, I have, I'm responsible for you now. Oh, oh Lord, like what have we done? No. Uh, the excitement, the anticipation, the reality was amazing. And then I remember with uh, Bennett when he was born, uh, little Benny, uh, it was, he was born on Labor Day, go figure, that makes sense, right? Uh, he was born on Labor Day, and I remember going to the hospital again with him uh, early that morning, it was a Monday, I believe, early that morning, and then uh, he was born that afternoon. I remember as Kayla was laboring through, uh, when we would catch a break in the contractions, I would dash across the hospital room, because if you've ever been to UVM and stayed in that corner room, it's like as big as this, no, not quite this big, it's pretty large, it's huge, okay, it's like this massive room, so I would run across the room, stuff my face with the boneless wing from Wings Over Burlington as she's catching her breath, and then dart back over and help her through those contractions. True story. I'm, I'm proud, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and eat that wing, and then I'd get some sweet tea and flush it down, and then I'd help her until the next one, and I'd run back and forth, and she loves me because of it, hopefully. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, and I remember as Little Benny was born, nine pound, one ounce Benny, holding him in our hands. Kayla had just been a champion through laboring and delivering him coming out and just seeing the preciousness of him. It didn't diminish because we've already had a child. This is not significant anymore. No, it was just as significant. And the next one that was born in August uh, this, this coming year, uh, it'll be just as significant. It won't be any less special, but there's a, a, a special anticipation and reality to the birth of a child. And as I reminisce on these events, they're filled with anticipation, and there's no, there's no um, letdown. It's all just amazing. It's great satisfaction. And I imagine as Luke chapter 2 was actually playing out in real time, the anticipation of Christ was to be gr- of a great anticipation. There was just something in the air flowing, and they were, they were excited for what was about to take place, Mary and Joseph, because the whole world has been prophesied and been told, hey, this is going to happen. And then in Luke 2, we see the Messiah has been born, the Savior of the world. What Mary and Joseph must have felt, uh, we probably can't put it into words. But we do understand this is the greatest birth to ever take place, the greatest child to ever be born. This wasn't just any child. This was the Son of God who had come to rescue us from our sins. And as I was thinking, the birth of every child is amazing. It's miraculous. And to see another person made in the image and likeness of God on this earth is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Every child impacts lives, especially the parents and siblings and, and so forth, family members and friends. 
But no other child has ever been born to make an impact on the world like Jesus. Hope has a name, and like a, a song I like to listen to says, his name is Jesus. And that's who we've come to look at this morning through Luke 2. And uh, my title is not significant. It's what the birth of Christ teaches us. And uh, you could have filled out this for me. Um, I'm going to look at three things this morning. And they're simple. And there's probably more you can draw out of it. But we only have time, so much time uh, to, to fill it in until we come back tonight. And so we're going to look at three things this morning about what the birth of Christ teaches us. And I pray these observations, though, you could probably fill in the blanks for me and help me out and, and preach this too. I hope they jump out at you and you learn something this morning and, and are helped by it. The birth of Christ teaches us about, number one, the humility of our Savior. As we jump into Luke 2, there's some context that there was this decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. There was a census taking place uh, to keep count of people, and it was quite amazing that Caesar Augustus of Rome, the, the world power, said this is going to happen, and the whole world went to make it happen. They were obedient to it, and they went to, to have this take place. And it's unique because God uses the government and the situation leaders to accomplish his very purposes. Uh, in Micah 5.2, about 2,700 years ago, the prophet Micah said the Messiah would be a descendant of King David and be born in Bethlehem. Now, as they're making, this, they're making their trip to Bethlehem for the census, God wasn't breathing a sigh of relief to go, oh, thank God it's going to happen the way I wanted it to. No, no, no. This was God instating, sovereignly decreeing, and making sure it came to be the way he said it would come to be. And what I find interesting is uh, R.C. Sproul made a comment about this story is about three kings. I, I like the thought here. The first king is Caesar Augustus, the ruler of Rome, the, the world-leading governmental system. They were dominant. And yet there's another king. He's the first king. The second king is the one laying in a manger that has full reign over the king or the ruler of Rome. That's Jesus. And then there's another, another king that we read about, and that's the Lord God Almighty ruling and bringing about his sovereign plan from the beginning of time. And so we see, we jump into it, we get the context of why they're going, where they're going, and we see Mary and Joseph broke peasants from Galilee, make an 80-mile trip to Bethlehem, give or take, for this special census. Now, they were of no impressive uh, resumes. They had no, uh, nothing special about them or impressive about them. They had no special status. They couldn't even find a place to stay for the night. Uh, we read there's no place for them in the inn. That doesn't mean necessarily it was a rude innkeeper that was like negative. Uh, we don't like Jesus. That's not necessarily the case. But there was not enough room, and they weren't important enough to get rank over somebody else to take over and get a room from it, even though we read she was not just with child, but great with child, okay? You can emphasize that's okay, guys. Uh, she was great with child. So Jesus, though, as we read, is born where the animals were kept, laid in a feeding trough for a crib, in humility, really in shame, right? He's the king of kings. And yet he comes and is laid into a feeding trough. I can't think of a stinkier place to be born than where animals were kept. I'm sure, I don't know about you, but I've never walked through a barn and been like, that looks like a great place to snuggle up and cuddle the hay there. Uh, I have never been there. Maybe you have. I'm sorry if, you, if I offended you. But that's not where I would assume would be a great place to cuddle up. But the king of kings identifies with the lowly. He's not born in royalty. He wasn't born in a palace or a kingdom or a castle. But he was born in the lowliest of ways. We're told he's wrapped in torn cloths, not the finest purple linens of the day, 
and lay it again in a feeding trough. I can't help but think of what we've been learning in Mark. Jesus tells us the first will be last, the last will be first. All throughout the Gospels in James, you can read about the proud will be put down, the humble will be lifted up. And isn't Jesus the greatest example of that, even through his birth? Like, that's amazing. And he just, he, he humbles himself. For the younger generation, this is not an Instagram-worthy photo in sight. They're in a stable with a newborn baby. In the hospital, scary enough with a newborn baby, let alone in a stable outside with animals. So we see the humility of our Savior. What's unique is we also see humility of his servants here. When we read about Mary and Joseph, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel, announced that Christ would be born from her. He says a few things about her. She was highly favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary wasn't known by the multitude. Mary wasn't a celebrity. She didn't have a lot of followers, but she was faithful to God. I was contemplating preaching this text or a different text, and when Mary is announced or told by the angel that Jesus will come through her, she, after all the, the pronouncement and declaration from Gabriel the angel, she repeats this phrase, and you can go back to it in Luke 1, and says, Be unto me according to your word. And as I was thinking about Christ being humble, Christ using humble servants, if we're ever going to do anything for God, anything to serve Christ, that phrase, be unto me according to your word, has to be on the, our heart. It has to be set in stone that we're going to follow God and do it as he says, regardless of what's to take place. What's interesting is Mary didn't just get the message, though, and then boom, like they fast-forwarded nine months and Jesus is here. That, that's not how that happened, right? There was a good span of time there like any other child. And there was a road between the pronouncement of Mary's birth, and the, or of Jesus' birth, and the actual event. I can imagine many months of doubt and rumors and questions unanswered because they were waiting for this day. Waiting to see Christ born. But we see humble servants for sure. It reminds me of what uh, 1 Corinthians tells us, that God uses the weak of this world to confound the wise. This is God's plan, and it's consistent with his character in humility. Uh, Jesus came at a specific time to do a specific task for certain people like you and I, sinners in need of a Savior. I love when... Um, Gabriel announces again to, and after Mary, he announces to Joseph about the child to be born. And he says this phrase, and Kelly read it a minute ago, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This is the child of a lowly birth with low servant carriers, parent, earthly parents, if you will, that are bringing about this end. And so we see number one this morning Christ came in humility, not as the world would have thought, but just as God would have intended. And that's who we come to celebrate this morning. And then our second thought this morning is this. Uh, the birth of Christ teaches us that Christ has come for all people, for every people. Look at, look at verse 8 through 14. Dan just read it, but we're going to read it again. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. Not just afraid, but sore afraid, terrified, okay? And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
It shall be a sign to you, you shall find the babe, wrapped in solid clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, multi- with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. As we read this passage, uh, some context beforehand is helpful. Uh, shepherds of the day, okay? Let me just, uh, the best way to illustrate that is if you were at an airport and you were going through TSA, shepherds were the random checks, the not-so-random checks, all right? They weren't the most trusted people on the planet. They were known for being thieves. They would cross over land, and maybe they would take something that wasn't theirs. They were not the highest-esteemed people. They were pretty low-evaluated people of the day. And that is who the angel of the Lord reveals the birth of Jesus to first. Not the king of the land, not to the religious leaders, but to shepherds. I think it reminds us in the Gospels where Jesus says, I didn't come to save those who were healthy, but I came after those who were sick. I came after those who realized they were sin sick and they needed a savior, not for the self-righteous that think they're fine, but I came for those who were sick. So the message to these thieves, these sinners, is good news. And it says the angel was accompanied, too, by the glory of God in verse 9. Angel comes out, appears, and the glory of God is all around them. I would just imagine, just put yourself in the scene for a minute. Um, there's a few shepherds, maybe a few are sleeping, maybe a few are keeping watch. They're awake that night, and they're uh, doing the night shift, if you will, the graveyard. And they're keeping eyes on things. No messenger by foot, but boom, there's an angel <laughs> all of a sudden around you. And not just that. But light from heaven basically almost blinded them because the glory of God lit up that field. Now, you might have been driving last night and you came over a hill with someone's high beams on and you were like, oh my goodness, like I can't see. Times 10, like times a million. Like God's presence illuminated that field and he was there. The glory of God showed up to the angels or to the shepherds in the field. And they were, like it says, terrified, absolutely horrified. I would imagine that would be a pretty scary scene to put yourself into. They were not known as the most reputable people of the land, so I'd imagine maybe they had a guilty conscience, and they thought, this is judgment. We're, this is it. This is it. We're done. Like, this, is, this is it. Maybe not, but speculation. The angel, though, doesn't tear them apart, but he gives them incredible news. Don't fear. I bring you good news that comes with great joy. And check it out. It's for all people. Hmm. Think about that. Unto you, despised shepherds, a child is born. Unto you, despised shepherds, a Savior is born for you. For you, lowly shepherds. They didn't have a status, like I mentioned, and he definitely wasn't a good one if they did have one. But Christ was born for them. That gives us good news this morning. Because if you sit here in the room and you're saying, I have done far too much bad he was born for you. He was born for me. He, there's no one in this room that could say, well, I've out God's grace. Because if he comes to the shepherds and reveals to us that he has not come here, Jesus was not born to come after the, 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 the elite, the top of the, of the ladder. But he came for the lowest. And he came for the highest. He came for the whole ladder. He came for everybody, the whole system. And he wants to save you. And so Mary and Joseph, as you would think about uh, announcing their birth, uh, they didn't have a mailing system or a social media feed, but God himself provided a company of angel, of heavenly hosts, to proclaim the birth of his one and only son, and yet again, to shepherds, to shepherds, to the lowest of the low, 
Christ has been born, and he's been born for you. And that might not sound significant if you have heard that phrase before, but born for you to save you from your sin, which you cannot do on your own. That's what he's come to do for you. These are the people that were told to go and find him. We're told, go find him. He was born in the barn, the setting, and they were given what he offers, good news with great joy. That encompasses the whole being. As we think about ourselves, we oftentimes realize that we are broken, crummy people, that our lives are just a mess. And I'm not saying that about you. I'm speaking about my own life. It's a mess. I need intervention from God. Because if we think for a minute, well, those are shepherds, they're lowly people, and I'm good, you know. Who are we comparing ourselves to? We have to understand that we are broken, and Christ has come for us because we're broken. And because we're broken, we can't put our pieces together, but Christ offers that through his son, or through himself on the cross for us. It's okay to realize that we're imperfect, that we have a problem, because that's where Christ can change us, can save us, to be more like him. And God uses weak and broken people to display and pronounce his glory, and he can use you and I in the same exact way. I was listening to someone this week speak about this passage, and they said this phrase, we aren't the dream team. He said that to his own church. But when you read 1 Corinthians, God chose the weak of the world and the foolish. I'm not calling you all fools. I'm not calling you all weak. But the Bible says it. So that's all of us, all right? We're weak and we're foolish, church. But that is who Christ has come for. If you think you're above it or below it, you're missing it. That's not what he's called. He said, I've come for you. When you think about when a company is hiring, when they're putting resumes out, they're not necessarily saying, right, give me the worst guy on the list. Let me, let me find that guy. Uh, the, the thief, let's put him on our accounting team. Like, no, no, like that's not a realistic thing. But Jesus says, hey, I have come for you, thieves, shepherds. I have come for you, rotten sinners. All of you, I've come for you. And that's what's so amazing about when John's preaching in, in his gospel about Christ coming, and he pronounces him in John 1, 29, says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What's the good news? Salvation. And who's it for? All people. All people. This is an offer of salvation to all people. And we see in, um, as we continue to read, there's an army a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men, pronouncing the peace that only Christ can bring through, through our salvation in him. I love that as you think through the peace that's offered in Luke 2, when Jesus arrives, there's peace, and when Jesus descends back into heaven, there's peace. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Christ wants peace for you. In his birth, through his dissension, he wants peace for you. And that's only found through the, the salvation we have in the gospel, the good news that Christ has come, lived in perfection, born in this manner, died on the cross for your sin. By faith in him and his resurrection, you can have this faith. You can have this peace. And so the good news that I have for you this morning is simply this. Christ has come for you. If you don't know him, will you trust him today? Christ has come for you. If you've trusted him, are you living in the realities of that? Are you following in obedience to that? 
He doesn't just say, here's this and like, good luck with your... No, we get his word. We get his truth. He's come for you. And that's the good news for this morning. Number three, the birth of Christ teaches us that this good news must be shared. Again, jumping back into the narrative, the angels depart, I'm assuming. It just got dark really quickly. <laughs> uh, your eyes are adjusting, right? When the room changes, they're trying to figure out what just happened. Uh, they realize what happens. And they go and seek out the good news that they were told by the angel. Go find Mary and Joseph. And they go and they find them. And they're doing just what they're saying. Mary and Joseph in the stable, baby lying in the manger. And what's interesting about this, these shepherds, these thieves, become the first evangelists. (laughs) And now we're called to be just like them and share the gospel with others. They didn't just do evangelism by their lives but they opened their mouths and told everyone they came in contact with what they had just heard and seen because it was good news for all people. They weren't waiting for people to walk up to them and say, what's different about you? No. They went and shared what they had heard and seen. They were changed. You know, when we think about sharing Christ, we can get a little nervous, right? Uh, We were on our missions trip and um, passing out Bibles and some weird stuff happened, and people in Wales are very private, we learned, uh, the hard way. Uh, and a uh, guy got, came out and was a little frustrated. We were looking at his house and aimed, standing around his house and had a phone near his house with a camera on it and stuff. You can put two and two together. Um, and um, he wasn't happy about it. We were trying to give out Bibles with, and the gospel. And it's like, ah, awkward. It's weird, right? But yet, he calls us to just proclaim the gospel in a simple fashion. And the shepherds were told, were told to go share what they had heard and seen. And so we don't have to have a degree from Bible college or seminary. You don't have to have all the answers in Scripture to every single spiritual matter. I don't think these shepherds were ready for a debate if it came their way. Or I'd take maybe a six-week apologetics course to get ready for it. No, they were unlearned men. But what they, had, what they knew was what they had heard and seen. And what they were told by the angels from God. And what they had seen with their eyes, Jesus himself. I doubt they looked at each other and said, maybe when we know more, we'll do something about it. No, they just went and told. They were excited. They were filled with something they had never understood or seen before in this way. That's all that mattered. They shared their experience from God by trusting in what he had said and went and shared it with others. And so if you've experienced God this morning through the gospel by trusting in him by faith, then you're eligible to do this. That's your, that's your eligibility right there. If you know Christ, this is our obligation. This is what we're shown to do, just how the shepherds were as well. And so as we think about that, who are we praying for? And who are we looking for opportunities to share the gospel with in our lives each and every week? That, that's a, I'm going to keep talking because it's going to be really quiet here if I don't. Uh, but that's an awkward question sometimes. Who are we sharing Christ with? More importantly, who are we praying to share Christ with? Do we have people that we're consciously aware of that aren't Christians that we can be sharing Christ with and the gospel and what he offers to them? Are we currently doing this? As I was reading through here, the shepherds were excited, (laughs) thrilled, full of joy, obviously. And so maybe this morning as you're sitting here, uh, if you've got a a, a pen and paper or a handout or a note-taking sheet or whatever you've got on you, you you probably have your phone, all of us uh, have your phone, type some names down. One of three names. Who could you be sharing Christ with? Who could you be sharing the good news that Christ has come and born 
for you, for them? And more importantly, who are we praying about that we can share the gospel with and then do it? That's what he's called us to. It says the people that were told wondered or marveled at what they had heard. And what's interesting is Mary's reaction is a really interesting one. Look at verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered them. She kept them and kept thinking about them. I bet she continued to think about this event. And then when Jesus was 12, we learned he goes to the temple and he's conversing with, with the religious rulers and they can't find him for a little bit and they find him there at the temple. I bet she pondered those things as well. And then as Christ went about his ministry and started preaching and telling about what was to come, that he was going to die and rise again, I'm sure she pondered the, the effects of seeing people believe, maybe seeing people reject and say, no. And he wasn't even received by his own hometown, apparently. That's what we read about in Scripture. Maybe she pondered those things in her heart. And then one day, staying below a cross, looking back in her mind of what had been to come in the announcement by Gabriel to what we read about in Luke 2, the, the, the birth of the Son of God, standing below the cross, watching him die. I would imagine she kept pondering those things in her heart. What had taken place over the span of 30-ish years, what God was doing and how he used her in that way. She thought on those things. Thinking about that word pondered, I was doing some digging into the, the, the root words and the, the, the idea almost is connecting the dots. You ever thought about that before? Like connecting the dots of different events that have taken place to get you where you're at? You ever looked back in your own life and done that and been like, okay, we did this and did this and somehow we ended up here. Like, like you connect all the dots and you kind of see how God and it's God and his sovereignty behind the scenes has orchestrated your steps. And that's what she was kind of thinking through. What had taken place to get them even to this point? And I'm sure it didn't stop there. And I don't want to make a silly connection, but in a similar manner, have we thought on all that Christ has done, what he has done here in Scripture, what he's continuing to do in our lives, and just thought on those things continually? I think the, the kind of idea here we get is if we think about those things often, we'll be reminded of the goodness of God in our lives, reminded of the salvation he provides to us. And if you are a Christian, that you've received by faith. And just to dwell upon those things and reflect on what he has done and is doing. And verse 20 says this, the shepherds returned. They were glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it was told unto them. Makes me, begs the question, makes me think of the question, am I as infectious about what Christ has done in me as what he did in those shepherds? They were went away glorifying, praising, and telling of all they had seen and heard and taken place. And they had experienced God. They had seen the Son of God face to face. Maybe they even held him. I don't know if Mary and Joseph were like, hey, here you go, shepherd. I don't know. But they had been a part of that scene. And so as we think about this phrase, I know it's Christmas is tomorrow and you're expecting like a really like cute baby Jesus story. But are you sharing Christ with other people? I can't help but think from Luke 2 that that is a huge challenge that we are supposed to um, come in contact with as the shepherds did. Are we sharing Christ? Are we infectious about the God who saved us, who's changed us, who's continually to make us more like Christ? That's the good news. That was shared, 
is shared and must continually be shared. And his call is to me and you, to those who believe, to those who know Christ. This is a song I um, like to listen to. It's called Good News by Brian and Katie Torwalt. I want to read a few lyrics. I think it's, it's helpful. It says this, line by line, it was written, hope in every sentence. He was good start to finish. Yes, he was. The words that usher his presence and tell of the glories of heaven. The earth still shakes at the mention. Yes, it does. The chorus says, I've got good news for the broken, for the hurting, because he came for you. In your hoping and in your searching, one thing remains true. Jesus is still our good news. Verse 2 says, freeing each soul that was bound up, loving the one who was unloved, giving mercy to sinners, and he still does. His love is as vast as an ocean. He cares for the poor and the orphaned, the healer that has stopped for the one, and he still does. The bridge says this, what joy, what relief, his blood washed me clean. There's still hope for me, for all he has redeemed. He wrote a better story. He has set me free. There's still hope for me. The chorus again says, I've got good news for the broken and for the hurting. He came for you in your hoping, in your searching. One thing remains true. Jesus is our good news. And it ends with these words. One thing, again, remains true. Jesus is still our good news. So I asked you this morning, have you responded to the good news of Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in this Jesus, the one who came and was told ahead of time, prophesied about years and years and years before, who was told to be the Savior of the world, who revealed himself to shepherds first, the lowliest, meaning that we're all eligible. (laughs) He's come for all of us. He's come to save even the most rotten of us. And he cares for you. Is that good news a reality in your life, though? Because good news, short on time, getting there too late isn't good news. Trusting Christ now. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. As we just commemorate and think about the Christmas story as a whole, We must understand that Jesus wants that good news for you. It must be received by faith, only by his grace, trusting in this Jesus. Have you done that today? And if you're a believer, if you're a Christian in the room, maybe you've been for a month, maybe you've been for 40 years, doesn't matter. Is this news still good to you? Is it still on your heart? Are you still sharing this good news about what Christ has done for you, what he's done for the world? Never get over who Christ is, even if it's the most understood, most familiar passage of Scripture. It's still good news, and it's great news even for the one who's first hearing it, because this news is for you and I. Let's pray this morning. God, we ask you at this time that you would just help us to wrap our minds around your word. God, I pray that the gospel is clear and evident that there is no way in this world that we can come and know God and experience him forever in a place called heaven, except we realize that we are a sinner 
in need of saving and that our efforts, our works, our good, there's not enough good things that we can do to get us to you, but it's only in the good things that Christ has done that are good enough. God, I pray that we understand this truth today that only in Jesus Christ there's no salvation in any other. And this morning, if there's anybody in the room who does not know Christ as their Savior and Lord of their life, God, I pray that they would come to know that this morning and have the boldness and the Spirit would convict their heart to do so. And God, I pray for the believers, the Christians in the room, the church, that, that we would be infectious about what this good news has done for us and to us and what it is for the world around us. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for sending your son in a humble way, almost in shame, really, to come to save the world of sin. God, I pray that we never get over these truths. Help us to draw close to you and stay far from sin. Help us today. You know what I mean? Pray. Amen.